five-year-old, I like consistency. It bothers me to have the offering taken out of sync. <laughs> Let me urge you to pray God's protection on Leah. You know, we have to seriously think about the way the devil wants to attack our single women that are on the mission field. And it's on my heart constantly to pray for God to assign powerful angels, you know, for Sarah, for Cindy, or for Leah, for the women who are out there. The devil would do everything he can to bring them down. Let's commit to pray God's protection on these dear ones. Well, I've had an interesting week as far as the swirling of thoughts. Three disparate things have been swirling around in my mind. And after a while, no longer were they an emulsion, but they became homogenized, you know, into something in which the very elements no longer could even be distinguished. The elements were these. First was the truth of the word that Bill Sullivan brought last Sunday, that the opening chapters of Genesis set the stage for life. God is God. God created, and as the creator, he alone really has the right to determine what is right and what is wrong and what is to happen with the world and what's to happen with the nations and the races. He is the authority. Second thing that swirled through my mind was vacation Bible school. I'll tell you, if you happen to wander into this building between 9 and 12 o'clock, Monday through Friday, you might have thought you were in an anthill. Just uh, all kinds of folks swirling around everywhere. So busy, so busy. Third thing was the passage from Isaiah 6. That we read last Sunday before we sang, Holy, Holy, Holy. As Isaiah had that vision of God. Now, those really seem to be three disparate things, aren't they? And yet they were constantly swirling in my mind until they became blended together in a way I could not separate them. And then, strangely, this thought came out of that mix. Are you available? <laughs> and of course, as God always does, he personalized it for me. Am I available? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. One of the amazing things is that God, this great creator who made heaven and earth and all that is in it, who made us, gives us the opportunity to say yes and no to him. Isn't that amazing? When you think about the Garden of Edom and Adam and Eve, and here's all of these verdant things that God had, the animals had fellowship with man, Everything free to eat except one thing, and that was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why did God stick that tree in the garden? <laughs> but he did. There may have been absolutely no physical difference between that tree and any other tree, but there was a difference. And God said, eat of everything you want. It's all yours, but don't eat of the fruit of that tree. Man didn't, woman didn't, humankind didn't until the scepter and the, the deceiver in the form of a serpent 
came into the garden, said, Eve, uh, what did God say about that tree? Well, he said we shouldn't eat of it the day that we did, therein we would die. The serpent said, God's a liar. He's a liar. He knows that if you eat that tree, you will become like God. And so he's trying to keep you from eating that tree so you won't become like God. And therefore, he's told you, if you eat of it, you'll die. You won't die. She believed him. <laughs> and she saw the tree was beautiful to the eyes. Fruit looked like it was good to eat. And besides, it would make her wise. And she took and ate. And afterward, her husband but the point is this, God gave them a choice. Why? It seems clear to me that God did not want the human race to be a bunch of robots who had no choice but to obey him. But out of loving hearts, he wanted us to be obedient and thus express our love through obedience. Remember Jesus Christ said, He that loveth me keeps my commandments. And so the choice was given, and mankind made the wrong choice. It speaks so much of the character of God that God didn't look down at rebellious humanity and say, Okay, you've had it, and with an iron fist to smash the man and woman, and it would be over. God had made humanity in his image, male and female made he them. And we can never fully grasp the love of God that he has for us who he made in his image. He yearned, yearned some way to bring us back to him. And so in Genesis 3.15, the protoevangelium, when he pronounced the curse upon Satan. He gave that promise that someday a descendant of Eve would crush the head of that enemy, foretelling the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But humanity was driven from the presence of God. How many times throughout our history has God given us chance after chance after chance? In Genesis 6, we realize that the human race had gotten to the point that every thought and intent of man's heart was unto evil. And the, the uh, Hebrew of Genesis 6 says that the Greek word is naham. King James says repented. That's not really a good translation. Naham, it's onomatopoetic word. It's a word that sounds like what it means. God sighed. Naham. He grieved over what had happened to humanity. And looking down upon the earth, he found one righteous man, one, Noah, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And God gave the human race another chance. The entire race destroyed, but one family that then began to fill the earth again. Paul wrote, to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 1, speaking of God. He desires all men to be saved 
and come to a knowledge of him. And years later, as Peter was writing his epistle, he said, you know, there are people that say today, well, you know, things have always been the same, same from the beginning. There's no change. Peter says, wait a minute, you forget the flood. And then he said this, God is not slow about his promise. Some are saying, you know, he'll never come back. God is not slow concerning his promise, but is patient toward you, wishing that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Now, it's interesting, the Greek word wishing, there, there are two Greek words that speak of the will of God. One is boule. Boule is the immutable will of God. God has determined this, this will happen. The other word is the word that speaks of wish or desire, the desire of God's heart that he will not take the choice away from man. He always gives us a choice. And in order to do that, he paid the greatest price that could ever be paid for anything in all of the universe. Let me illustrate it this way. One day, a couple is blessed with the birth of their first child, and it is a little girl. And every father here today on Father's Day can remember when that happened. And prior to that time, you think you know something about love. In the instance that child is born Something is born in you that you did not know could ever exist. It is a love for which you cannot find the words to describe. The love that enters the heart when that child is born. And you delight as you see that child, little girl, grow and learn to walk and learn to talk. So cute, so sweet. And then one day you realize she's no longer that little girl. She's a woman, and she's a strong-willed woman, <laughs> and she starts to make her own choices, and some of those are not the choices you would make with her. And then you see her begin to associate with the wrong kind of friends, and finally begins to enter into a lifestyle that shocks you. She turns to drugs and turns to a life debauchery. She begins to be a prostitute and in time is owned, is owned by those who oversee sex trafficking. And as there was no language to describe the deep love you had in your heart when she was born, now there is no language to describe the anguish and that you feel over this child that you have loved so much. One day, you find out where she is. And serendipitously, you discover those who really own her. And you go to them and say, I want my daughter back. Sneeringly, they look at you and say, you can have her back, but it will cost you. In the name of Christ. You don't have that much money. What can you do? You mortgage your house, but that's still not enough. 
You sell your car. You get rid of all of your assets. And finally you have the money and take it to her masters and say, here's the price. And they say, take her. You can have her. But she has to decide. She's a lady. She has a choice. Will she go to the loving arms of her father and mother and get her life cleaned up? And become a person and no longer just an object? Or has that other life so enslaved her that she chooses to stay in it? You see, that's the way it is with us and God. As a human race, corporately, individually, we have become slaves of the forces of darkness. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our God paid the greatest price that could ever be paid in the entire universe to deliver us from that slavery, but it's up to us to accept it. Isn't it a staggering thought that God gives us a choice? But he does. We're his possession because he made us. We're his possession because he bought us. And yet he says, you have to choose. Are you available? <laughs> have you noticed that throughout scripture, the narrative accounts usually build around a story of those who made the choice to be available to God. Noah. God needed someone to build an ark. He was a righteous man who did it. Abram was available. Abram and his father and his father's family all dwelt in what is now Iraq. And God took, or rather, uh, Abram's father, Nahor, took his family and went to Haran. And they established their location there. And then one day, God came to Abram and said, Go out from your father and from your father's country to a land that I will show you. And Scripture says Abram went out not knowing whither he went. It's available to God today. Aren't we thankful he did? Moses shepherding his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of the desert, and suddenly he saw a bush burning, but even though flame came from it, it wasn't consumed. And he went to that bush, and the voice spoke from the bush, Take off your shoes, you're walking on holy ground. And you know, then the call was given to him to go to Egypt and become the deliverer of God's people. Moses was available. Isaiah chapter 6 that we quoted last week when he saw the tremendous vision of God high and lifted up and, and after the scenario moved toward the end, God said, who can I send and who will go for us? Isaiah was available. Hear my Lord, send me. Elisha was plowing with six yoke of oxen, twelve oxen, and Elijah came to him and cast his 
robe upon him, and Elisha was called away to become the great prophet of God. Elisha was available. Amos was available. Amos was a shepherd of Tekoa. But what about Jesus' disciples? You know, the song we teach children to learn the apostles, Jesus called them one by one, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Next came Philip, Thomas, too, Matthew, and Bartholomew. Yes, Jesus called them. Yes, Jesus called them. Yes, Jesus called them. He called them one by one. Then the second verse, the rest of them. But the point is, Jesus called them. <laughs> you remember after the temptation in the wilderness, Jesus went back to Galilee. And as he began walking along the shore, he saw two brothers, Peter and Andrew, they were working with their nets. He said, come follow me. And they walked away from their nets and followed Jesus. They were available. He walked a little further and he saw two other brothers, James and John, with their father's boat. Zebedee was there. Their father, they were in the fishing business together. And Jesus said, come follow me. And they walked off and left their father and his boat in the nets and followed Jesus. Always wondered what Zebedee thought about his boys leaving. But still, they were available. A little bit later, walking along, Jesus came to a place where there was a Roman official who was the agent, the customs agent, and the practice was that as caravans came into that area, there'd be a roadblock, and there'd be a customs agent there, and he'd look over your caravan, and how much money can I get out of this crowd? <laughs> he kept part of it for himself, of course. That's the way customs agents... By the way, when Gordon and I, one trip we were in Russia. I, this was after the fall of communism and almost everything was up for sale and right in front of us coming to the customs agent there was a lady that had bought one of the icons out of a Russian Orthodox church. She had the icon, she had the bill of sale, clearly it was legal but the customs agent confiscated it. <laughs> I'm sure he was going to make some money off of it. Well, that's the way things were done. And Jesus came to a place where there was a Roman customs agent named Levi, who later came to be known as Matthew. And he looked at him and said, come follow me. And Matthew abandoned his post and followed Jesus. He was available. One of the most striking examples of availability is Mary, the mother of Jesus, you remember she was surprised to suddenly find herself in the presence of an angel. And he began to tell her what God's plans were for her. And she began to object, how can I have a baby? I've never known a man. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And he went ahead and described the fact that pregnancy would come because the Holy Spirit would overshadow her. Here's her reply. Be it, and the Greek word is doulos, be it unto your slave according to your word. Mary was available. Again, we pose the question, are you available? I ask the question, am I available? Now, it's important that we don't have some kind of a false understanding of 
what it means to be available, what will happen to us if we're available. When I was working on the railroad and Barbara and I were becoming increasingly active in the church, we started a youth group with three kids. Within a month, we had 30 uh, doing door-to-door calling, other things. And, and God began to speak to us that he wanted us to commit ourselves to him more fully and so on a given Sunday, at the close of a service, we went forward and in front of the congregation, rededicated our lives to serve Christ, whatever that meant. She later told me that she did that with a bit of fear because she was afraid that I might haul her off to China <laughs> or to Singapore, maybe Rwanda. <laughs> of course, that wasn't God's plan. But some, that's what it means, doesn't it? That's what it meant to Abraham. Abram, go away from your father's country to where I will show you. Matthew 10, 37, 38, who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And then Matthew 19, everyone who is left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. I thought it was interesting, Leah, that when you took the Kairos course for the first time, Andrew McIndarfer was in that group. Isn't it something that as we look at the folks back there on that map, and others that aren't on the map, the years ago were in our nursery. <laughs> years ago were in our Sunday school. And now they're in the far-flung places of the world because they were available. And av availability to them meant leave your father's house, leave your country, and go where I will show you. But that's not true for everybody. I'm so thankful that we have the last verses of the Gospel of John. You remember the story, Jesus, or rather uh, Peter and uh, three of the other disciples were out in a boat fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus said, go there and I'll meet you. And they were fishing and suddenly on the shore they saw this figure and they realized it was the Lord, and Peter, being a naked fisherman, put his cloak around him. That's some strength, put his cloak around him, jump in the water, swim. He usually take it off to swim, but he put his on to swim. Swam to shore. <laughs> and when he got there, Jesus had a fire going, and he invited him to sit down. The others came, had some fish, and they ate. And as we're walking along, Jesus began to question Peter. Remember, remember Peter three times denied Jesus. At one point, when Christ spoke about betraying him, Peter said, I will never betray you. Jesus said, oh, yes, you will. In the garden, when the soldiers came, Peter whipped out his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Jesus put the ear back on. Put up your sword, Peter. Peter said, I'll never deny you. But oh, what sobs poured out of his heart 
when while Jesus was being examined and flogged and tried and Peter had entered the courtyard and sat around the fire, hey, you're one of his. Oh, no, no, I'm not. Uh, I know you're one of his. You're, you're God. No, I'm not. Jesus had said, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. And the third time, you're one of his. And he cursed to show them that he wasn't. And just as he did, the rooster crowed. And Peter went out sobbing. He had denied his Lord. But on this occasion, when Jesus met them on the shore of Galilee, Peter, do you love me? He used the word agape, do you love me? Peter said, you know, Lord, I love you. He didn't use agape. He said filet. Filet is the word for affection. Jesus was asking a deeper question. Second time he asked. The third time Peter replied. Second time he asked. Third time Peter replied. Three times he had denied the Lord. Now he three times had expressed his love. And then as they walked along, Jesus said to Peter, nowadays you just go wherever you want. But the time will come when men will bind you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he spake describing the kind of death that Peter would die. Now John was walking behind and Peter looked back and said, what about that one? <laughs> Jesus in essence said, that's none of your business. What is it to you if I decide that he will live until I return again? You follow me. My brother and my sister, it is important that we be available to God. But it is also important that we do not predefine what that means. Nor should we ever judge what that means to someone else. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to me. For most of us, it means have an income producing job. Be a good husband. Be a good father. Be a good son. Be a good daughter. First Thessalonians 4.11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And here's an interesting, don't be a busybody, but attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in need. And then 2 Thessalonians 3, we hear that some of you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, acting like busybodies. <laughs> I have to give you an aside. Where I work out, I notice... There are some folks that come to the gym and it's a social activity. They spend more time talking than pumping iron. Well, that's maybe what he's talking about here. No work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Work in quiet fashion and eat your own bread. And Ephesians 4, he who steals, steal no longer, but rather to labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so he will have, why, something to share with the one who has need. And one of the 
passages in God's Word that has so directed me in my life is Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 17. Here Paul is describing a settled life. Here's the way the husband treats his wife. The wife, the husband, parents, children, children, parents. Here's how you should treat one another. But he begins the section and ends the section with verses that have been so important to me in my life. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And then the closing verses, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. And we've said more than once that anyone who lives by that dictum will be the best employee any boss ever had because you're not working for the man that writes your paycheck. You're writing for the one who bought you with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Working with that motivation demands excellence. Whether you do electrical work, plumbing work, fixing holes in the wall, a programmer, an engineer, a geologist, a chemist, school teacher, preacher, whatever. <laughs> Nothing can exceed the excellence that will come forth because it is Christ whom you serve. Are you available? The important thing for you and for me is to be available faithfully fulfilling whatever role it is God calls us unto in this life we need to be like Mary be it unto this slave according to your word God we pray that you would enable us with our spiritual ear to hear your voice and know the path to which we should commit ourselves and should you for reasons totally beyond anything we can grasp you cause us to leave that path and do something totally different as you did with Abraham but God we must hear your voice in our hearts we say if we know your will, we'll do it. Through Jesus, amen. Thank you, Jim, for that word reminding us, are you available? Let's stand. Father, I ask that you help each of us as we walk away from this sermon today. That simple question, are you available? Whether it's to serve the Lord here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or abroad, I pray, Father, that each of us would fulfill the calling you have on our lives. Whether it's an eight-to-five job, or it's doing Bible translation, or it's taking care of the elderly. 
Father, help us to be available, to be obedient, to fulfill your purposes here. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the example you gave us through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray these things. Amen. We are dismissed.